You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome in. It is Sunday night. It is May 17th. Late Kick is live. It is the year of our Lord, 2020. We've got a jam-packed show again tonight. We're going to get you off the air in about 40 minutes or less because tonight is the, uh, well, second to last and last episode of the Bulls Last Dance documentary. We're actually going to reference that in a fairly strange way before the show goes off the air. We have got a lot to talk about this evening. We're going to go a lot of different routes. Uh, I haven't talked Oklahoma a whole lot, but I think I may have a little take on the Sooners that differs from, dare I say, the majority out there right now. If it didn't, I probably wouldn't spend much time talking about it here. I don't know. Maybe I would. But also, I talked about this two weeks ago. I feel like we need to circle back and put a finer point on it. There are a lot of decommits coming. There are a lot of commitments happening right now. This is the reason that I talk about it. Uh, Tennessee's been on fire. Auburn has had a huge weekend. Alabama's starting to make some noise. Oklahoma the aforementioned Sooners have landed a couple of big kids this last week. So independent of any one school, I'm making a very broad point that fluid is the name of the game in recruiting for this particular cycle for a lot of reasons, and I think they're all pretty apparent. Also, we're going all-access story time again tonight. I'm going to give you some stories from way back, at least as it relates to the timeline on this show. Way back over a decade ago is what way back for us means. So we're going to talk about that and also we got a big feature dropping tomorrow, 9 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Central, our full interview with Alabama head coach Nick Saban. The social distance series continues. We will release that on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel, but because you are such loyal viewers, I'm going to give you a sneak peek of that tonight. It'll be at the end of the show, and it'll be about 20 minutes before that Last Dance documentary comes on, so why don't I just show you Nick Saban comparing himself to Michael Jordan? I figured that'd be a good way to end the show tonight and some Q&A too. So we got to get started here. We got a lot to get to. Uh, I got two missed calls since I came on the air. What kind of friends don't know we're doing the show right now. Uh, this fall is going to be crazy. Now I'm not talking about crazy as in how many fans are going to be in the stands or crazy as in someone's going to be playing ball on this coast and over on that coast, they're not going to be playing ball. I'm talking about how crazy just the world of recruiting may be. Now, some of you I was talking to someone just last night who said, you know, I like the more broad-based points about college football. I like watching the games on Saturday, but I'm not a huge recruiting fan. Well, some of you feel that way. Others, the more diehard types, you really do care about recruiting. But here's the thing. We talk recruiting some on this show. 24-7 Sports is a recruiting company. But when we talk about recruiting on this show, we're not breaking down film of a kid from West Virginia. What I'm talking about is how this is going to relate to you, even if you're just a casual fan. So... Here's what you need to watch for, because a lot of stuff's happening right now. Whole lot of, a whole lot of things are moving simultaneously. Some you see above the surface, some you don't necessarily see, but a lot of people in the college football world and the recruiting industry, they do see it. Your current top 10 per the 24-7 sports team recruiting rankings, Ohio State, Tennessee, North Carolina Clemson, USC, Florida, Minnesota, Texas, Iowa, Notre Dame. As I told you, and as I'll continue to tell you, this is as fluid a situation as we've ever seen. And that's in a world where already 
fluidity is the name of the game when you're talking recruiting rankings in May, because these aren't final until February of next year. But those are the current 24-7 sports team recruiting rankings. If you watch Late Kick, you know we've talked about Tennessee a lot. Auburn, again, has had a big weekend, landed a big quarterback commitment today. So I'm not going to waste time on any specific commits like Oklahoma, got Mario Williams, verbal from him this last weekend more on Oklahoma in a little while, but think about this. Okay, there's some stuff we don't know, some stuff we do know, but here's what's universal. Talking to head coaches, talking to a lot of assistants, and talking to a lot of people who work for us here, but who constantly have their ear to the ground nationally. Universally, it is expected that this fall will be the wildest ending to a recruiting cycle in history, perhaps, because there's not been a situation that has led to a chain of events unfolding like they have, such as what we've seen with COVID-19 and whatnot. So if you're unfamiliar, let me just quickly tell you why this is happening, why it will happen the way that we're talking here. Um, Bud Elliott and the guys on the national editorial team put out a piece that we kind of chronicled and detailed on this show a couple of weeks ago. I think it was uh, first week of May. And as of that date, I think the day was May 6th. As of May 6th, and I'm sure these numbers haven't changed a whole lot, there were three times the number of commitments on that date as there were year over year, that date, one year earlier. Right now, there are more kids committed in this recruiting cycle than there were at this point the last two years combined. So why is that happening? Well, they're happening for a few reasons. That goes to the what we know category. What we know is, and here's how we know this because we get a lot of feedback there have been a lot of reactionary commitments, okay? So some kids started to commit, and that's normal for May. Keep in mind, with the new recruiting calendar and the early signing date, there were a lot of kids the last two cycles that committed in the May and June timeframe. Georgia, for example, had a huge May and June this last year. So that's not atypical, but here's what happened. What happened was that those sequence of events started, those dominoes started to fall, and then because coaches were not coaching in spring and they were not on the field, all they had time to do was recruit, recruit, recruit. And all kids were doing was sitting in their houses. So all they had time to do all day was field calls, field calls. Well, some kids started to feel pressure and they also started to buy into the idea that, hey, if, if you want a spot now, we got one for you at the moment. I can't guarantee we're gonna have one for you in November. And as a result, a lot of chain reaction commitments, reactionary commitments started to happen. Obviously, not all of those are going to stick. More on that in just a second. There were offers without camps. A lot of times, we're going to play you a little snippet of our Nick Saban interview later in the show. Schools like Ohio State, schools like Alabama, um, and to varying degrees how they operate here. But a lot of times, when you're at the top of the food chain, these programs don't like extending committable offers without getting you in camp. They can watch your huddle film, they can watch all the cut-ups that you send, but they really wanna put their eyes on you in a controlled setting so that they can see you go through the drills. It's like a, an NFL private workout after the combine, but before the draft. When you do your private workouts, it's the same way that these camps work. So you don't have that in a lot of cases, and therefore you have some offers going out without the due diligence that normally would have happened. You've got offers going out with incomplete evaluations relative to what you normally would have. You know, like Tennessee and Jeremy Pruitt right now, 
They've got, I think, 21 or 22 verbal commits. And I don't, listen, Jeremy Pruitt's the last guy in the world I would ever question when it comes to evaluating talent. But think about this, just on a spectrum of what's normal versus right now, even Jeremy Pruitt doesn't have all the information available in his evaluation portfolio of a prospect relative to what he'd normally have. It's impossible. By default, it's impossible. So he's watched as much film as he can watch of a kid, but he hadn't got him in camp any more than anyone else has been able to. So my point is, in some cases, you've got kids who have entered into a situation that they're maybe not totally committed to. In other cases, you may have programs that have taken commitments from kids that they're not totally committed to. You've also got kids, you wouldn't be, you'd be shocked right now at how many kids have committed without taking official visits. I'll go a step further. You would be shocked at how many kids have committed to schools sight unseen. They've never even set foot on campus. All that's happening right now. So what does that sound like a recipe for? It sounds like a recipe for a tidal wave, a tsunami, if you will, of decommitments this fall. Visits are gonna matter. A lot of these major commitments have not taken visits. If you're committed right now, I mean, let me just ask you something. If you're watching the YouTube version, we we were looking at Clay Helton. USC's ranked, uh, what are they, fifth right now. So let's just use, because he happened to be on the screen, Southern Cal. If you're committed to Southern Cal, and let's say you live in Johnson City, Tennessee, this is a hypothetical recruit, of course, and you have not taken your visits, and you're lining up visits in the fall to Southern Cal, Tennessee, Georgia, Alabama, and Clemson. Like, am I even supposed to count you as a commitment? Everything's going to be telling you stay close to home. You're going to see things you've never seen before at these programs. You're going to see immaculate facilities. You're going to walk into multiple organizations that have won recent national championships. Everything you could want and then some, they have. I'm not just talking about the lower tier kids, the ones that maybe aren't at the forefront, not at the center of the major recruiting arguments. I'm not talking about just high two-star, low three-star type kids. I'm talking about the cream of the crop. In some cases, you're going to take visits this fall and decommit. Now, here's what I want you to remember. On top of the F word, fluid, I also want you to think about this. If <clears throat> Colin, I was talking to Colin before the show. I said, I think I just came up with a new term. What I didn't tell Colin is where I came up with the term from. Colin and I talk movies a lot before the show. Um, so there's this movie called Lake Placid, cinematic masterpiece, Colin. It's about an, an evil crocodile that just hunts people up on a lake. I mean, in fairness, it was his lake, and Bill Pullman and uh, Bridget Fonda and the like come up there and, and disrupt him. I digress. I learned from that movie, from Bill Pullman, who um, was, it, I think, a park ranger. I learned from him what a keystone species is. A keystone species as far as Bill Pullman described it in Lake Placid, is a species that whatever they do, it affects the entire ecosystem. So I was just scratching out some final notes in the break room in here, and I thought about keystone recruiting moves, keystone offers. Alabama right now is ranked 41st, I want to say, in the team recruiting rankings. Now, to steal that old Vern Lundquist adage, there are a few truths in an uncertain world, but one of them is certainly Alabama's not going to finish 41st in recruiting. They only have five or four or five verbal commits right now. Um, again, I talked to Nick Saban about that. You'll hear that full interview tomorrow. But what's going to happen is they're going to make moves late. Clemson is going to make moves late. A bunch of major programs, tier one programs, are going to make moves late. And they're going to take kids who are committed to other programs. This happens every year. It's especially going to happen in this cycle. Those are going to be what I call keystone moves, keystone chess pieces in recruiting. 
it's kind of like when, when Nick Saban, since he's on the screen right now, it's kind of like when they hire a new coach. There's a domino effect. It's a ripple effect that affects the entire sport because they can pretty much go get whoever they want to, by and large, and you sit there and chuckle until you realize, oh, they just took the defensive coordinator from FSU. Well, now I'm a Louisiana Monroe fan, and now they're going to take my head coach as coordinator. Well, that's the same way it's going to work in recruiting. Like, Auburn, for all you know, could take a quarterback or took a quarterback today. They could take a corner prospect who was previously committed to Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State's got a late slot to fill, so they grab one who was committed to Tulsa. Tulsa takes one who otherwise would have gone to an FCS program. That stuff happens every cycle. That's not a new concept. It's just going to happen in mass this fall, and it's going to be happening right during the middle of hopefully a football season. So you're going to have football to watch, and then the Monday through Friday is going to be as busy as recruiting has ever been. And this is already a world in which a lot of you are rabid, diehard recruiting fans. I'm just telling you this particular cycle, it's not just going to be the diehards who are captivated by this stuff. Everybody, if you're even just a casual drive-by college football fan, this is really going to pique your interest this fall. I appreciate a lot of you watching right now. If you will and haven't already, subscribe to the channel and click the bell for notifications if you're on YouTube. Also, subscribe to the podcast. We've got so much good traction on the podcast. And before I jump into this Oklahoma point, I just want to remember and remind you, if you want to submit questions for the Late Kick Extra podcast, that's the one that we do. We release it on Wednesday. I record it on Tuesday. As I tell you, I'm going to keep on reminding you because it's got to become habit. Underneath the YouTube video. So if you're watching live right now or watching the replay, I have pinned a comment. Reply to that comment with any of the questions that you want to submit. You can also email them to me, joshpate706 at gmail.com, or you can direct message me on Twitter. So that's how I gather the questions for the podcast. I have already got a lot of them, and I expect now to get a lot more for Tuesday. We almost went an hour last week. I was planning on going 30 minutes. We went an hour, but it was really good. I mean, I've there, there are most listened to episodes, and we have a lot of fun with them. What is Oklahoma football's ceiling? 63 to 28. That's all anyone cares about. If there was a bumper sticker for OU football right now outside of Norman, it would just be 63 to 28. Did anyone see where that purple and gold truck went that just hit us? That's all anyone remembers. I've got a much different feel about Oklahoma. I can tell right now than most people do. I flat out think they're going to win a national championship under Lincoln Riley. The only difference, in my opinion, I think, versus a lot of folks is all I see 63 to 28 as is a springboard. A lot of people see it as their ceiling. A lot of people see it as their identity. They're all sizzle. They're no stake. They can do it offensively, but they'll never be able to play defense the caliber with which you have to be able to play it to win a national championship. They can make the playoff. They can win the Big 12, but they can't do anything more than that. You view it maybe as a definer, their identity. I think it just may be an important rung on a ladder that they're climbing that may take a little longer. They may not have as much access to that kind of defensive talent in their natural geographical recruiting bed as you do, say, at LSU. But what's proven here? Before you realize or ask yourself what they need, I, I know what's proven, and I don't think we're going to argue about this. They've got a great head coach. You are not in demand at the next level. Next level, of course, for Lincoln Riley being the NFL. The NFL is not wildly attracted to you if you are not a legitimate head coach. And you're not going to the playoff 
virtually every year, in contention every year, if you're not a legitimate coach. And you're not dominating a Power 5 conference if you're not a legitimate head coach. So we know they've got that. We know they've got offense figured out. It, you're never going to turn on an Oklahoma game and see, oh, late third quarter, they, they hadn't cracked double digits yet. What, how's Oklahoma getting shut out here? That's not anything you ever have to worry about. You don't ever have to worry about the quarterback position with Oklahoma. And if they don't recruit them out of high school, who cares? They'll just go take yours. They'll go take your quarterbacks that aren't starting, start them, and they'll win Heisman's. We don't ever have to worry about quarterback there. We don't ever, I don't think, have to worry about recruiting. It's just there's a difference between good recruiting and great recruiting. They are good, and in some cases, some positions great right now. They just need to be uh, great recruiting both sides of the ball and developing both sides of the ball. Now, again, that's not happening overnight there. So that's what we do know. Now let's talk about the allegation. The allegation, which I think is a little unfounded, but it was only exclamated after the latest Peach Bowl setback, to put it mildly, that 63-28 to blowout was they can't hang with the SEC. Now that's false. They couldn't hang with LSU last year. They couldn't hang with Alabama the year before. There aren't many teams hanging with LSU or Alabama in the years that Oklahoma had to play them. I think they went to overtime in the Rose Bowl against Georgia. So I think they'd fare pretty good against Missouri. I don't think they'd have much trouble handling South Carolina. It's not an SEC problem. It's an elite team problem. If they faced Clemson, if they faced Ohio State, if they faced LSU, Alabama, those are the tier one teams that we're talking about here. It's not an SEC thing. It's a tier one thing. And those tier one teams have had something that Lincoln Riley's crew has not had. And that is championship caliber defense. We always talk about what it takes for a group of five team to be considered in the conversation for the playoff and how I tell you I don't think they'll ever have it because it requires a certain strength of schedule. And if you're not at least above that minimum baseline, I'm not going to acknowledge you. Oklahoma defensively, the product on the field has not even been above the minimum baseline to be considered. So they get into the playoff and then it's like they get in the playoff but then the next step is to win a national championship, and it's like looking across the Grand Canyon. Like, we got in the playoff. We're supposed to be one step away, and that's a pretty big step that we have to take. Or is it? So then you start doing, who do they have to get through, and then what does it take, and is this Oklahoma forever? Are they just a cute story regular season? They can win the Big 12. They can get to the playoff. But after that, I mean, they're going to get mat trucked depending on who they play. It's just going to be what team's on the other side of the field as to who does it, but it's going to happen. I don't think that way. I don't necessarily think that that's what Oklahoma is. But you can't, and this is what happened when they hired Alex Grinch as the defensive coordinator this last year. Um, I know Sooner fans know what I'm about to say. I don't know if the rest of you outside of Norman are really aware of this. You, if you, I always used to love these vehicle and traffic metaphors, but you can't take a bicycle and just turn it into a Ferrari. And... There are no parts that you buy to turn a bicycle into a Ferrari. You got to throw the bike on the scrap heap and you got to go get the parts for the Ferrari. And they had a ton, guys. I mean, a ton of attrition and transfers. And what we call that in the SEC is we call that processing. We call that weeding out the guys that don't need to be here. You got Alex Grinch who comes in and it's a dirty world. We don't talk about it a whole lot, but they had a lot of people on that roster who were taking up scholarships, who did not need to be on that roster, and they were not earning those scholarships, got to get them out of there. So a lot of kids left. A lot more of them will. Alex Grinch, you start getting his classes in. They start getting transfers in. And so, you again, when you cannot just 
throw a stone out the window like Georgia can or like Florida can and hit 25 four- and five-star linebackers and defensive linemen. When you're in Norman, it's a little bit different. You can get them. It just takes a little bit longer. So there are some anecdotal examples as recently as this last week. You know, they landed Clayton Smith, who was uh, or is a really big-time High four-star linebacker prospect, about 6'4", 220 or so. Uh, I think he's out of Texarkana. That's anecdotal, okay? You don't win with one linebacker. What I'm saying is, get me more of them. And I think they can. And here's what'll happen. What'll happen is, I think they'll eventually win a national championship under Lincoln Riley. And what I think people will do is they'll look back and they'll see 63-28, and they'll realize, dude, I never, once I saw that happen, I never paid them any attention. I never gave them the time of day. And you'll realize it was just a little bit slower to come to a boil in Norman, Oklahoma than maybe it was in Baton Rouge, Louisiana for all kinds of different reasons. But when you, for instance, continue to have the quarterback play that they have and will have, because I fully believe they're going to land Caleb Williams. They don't have half bad options on campus right now, but Caleb Williams is to me the best quarterback in America this upcoming cycle. Um, built uh, like a Mack truck. I've already used that twice in this segment alone uh, out of the Washington, D.C. area. I think he's going to Oklahoma. I I don't think that's a foregone conclusion, but I believe that he's going to Oklahoma. So again, every time you land a kid like that, you guarantee yourself three more years of elite first-round caliber quarterback play because there's not a lot of guesswork with a guy like Caleb Williams. That's a full-grown man playing high school football right now. And so when you have that, you continue to know offensively, Never going to be a question for us. What do you have to be defensively? You don't have to be elite. You just got to be pretty good. Be situational. Be good on third down. Be good in the red zone. That's all you got to do. I know it's when I say that's all you got to do. That's what you got to do. That's what you're looking for. Start watching defensive recruiting with Oklahoma. Start watching the kids they get in there via the transfer market. They do it at quarterback all the time. Who's to say that they don't start doing it as restrictions continue to loosen up? Who's to say that they don't become the... Um, the trendsetters for being able to watch your talent develop, maybe at the second level, third level of the sport, not of the defense, and then just start littering their roster with really good, really developed, really mature transfer options in their defensive front seven. Maybe that's the way they do it. I don't know how they're going to do it. I just know they got a cat in there coaching their defense right now who I think understands how to do it. It's just, I mean, if he knows it now, if he's going to know it in five years, he knows it now. It just was what it was this last year. There was a reason why LSU was so mouthy going into that Peach Bowl. It's because they had watched Oklahoma on film. Uh, they told you exactly what they were going to do, and then they did it. And it wasn't a schematic thing. It wasn't a let's hope the ball bounces our way thing. It was a 100 times out of 100 thing. If LSU and Oklahoma play in that game, unless you have like 10 freak injuries that happen to LSU. I think Oklahoma's going to win a national championship under Lincoln Riley. Not going to call it next year, but I think it's going to happen. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. 
Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Let's roll on. Uh, our all-access stories always do really good traffic. We always get a ton of comments on them. Normally, the all-access stories, for those of you who aren't aware, are just stories that I give you from games that I've covered, and it's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff. So I figured I'd go a little bit further back to a time before I was even in the sports media business. I wanted to be in, I dreamed about being in, but I wasn't in. So if you are familiar with the Iron Bowl rivalry, it's the Alabama-Auburn rivalry, uh, I don't really care if you think it's the best or not the best, irrelevant. It's, it's very, it's crazy to be around. Whether you observe it or you cover it, it's crazy to be around. So if you've ever seen some of that home surveillance video from places in California when there's an earthquake and you'll see like the, the swimming pool, if you've ever seen what an earthquake does to a swimming pool, that is the Alabama-Auburn rivalry. That earthquake hits and the, it's, it's just like a bowl. And if, if, you, if you kick a bowl full of water, that's exactly what the earthquake does to the swimming pool. The water just goes back and forth, back and forth. And that's exactly how the Iron Bowl rivalry really has always been. And it was no different in the late 2000s. In the late 2000s, um, start around 2006 or 7, uh, Auburn has run off six straight wins. 07, I think, was the last win in that streak for Tommy Tuberville. Alabama has gone and hired a guy named Nick Saban. And so then Nick Saban starts winning, and he runs Tommy Tuberville out of town. And then in this game right here, actually, that Colin's showing you, Look at Glenn Coffey go. Um, Alabama won that game 36-0, humiliated Tommy Tuberville. He's fired. They bring in Gene Chizik, who was 5-19 and 19 at the time. And so it's just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So let me take you back to that pre-Nick Saban time. Let me tell you where I was. All of you remember where you were during, I get, if you think like me and you're a big college football fan, you think about where you were during big moments in the sports history. So I've told this, or I've referenced many times where I was. I was working at a fabric warehouse down in Columbus, on uh, 12th Avenue, for those familiar down there. And Mike Shula gets fired. And then it's that period of, ooh, who are they going to go after? And everyone knows they want Nick Saban, but Nick Saban gives the, I'm not going to be the Alabama head coach deal. So then they put Joe Kynes in the interim position for the bowl game, and they interview him at halftime. It sounds like someone cranked up a leaf blower. It's just, wah! So Joe Kynes is not the guy. Bless him. Bless him. Great guy. Just not the guy. And so... Nick Saban has given him a no. I mean, guys, do you remember the names? I, I remember this, and here's what it has to do with where I was working. I would listen on a little teal blue radio every day. I would have an earbud in as I was stacking these rolls of fabric. And I remember listening to talk radio all throughout the day and hearing names like Paul Johnson, Jeff Tedford, Rich Rodriguez 
it sounds like there's breaking news. We've got a deal in place. He's going to be the head coach at Alabama. Then all of a sudden you find out maybe his wife is not so gung-ho about it as Rich Rodriguez is. So now he's out. And so now it sounds like Nick, it sounds like Alabama's down to their ninth or tenth option. Not much unlike Tennessee went through a few years back. A few years back, Tennessee was going after all these folks and reportedly kept getting told no. So that's where Alabama was. But then they circle back and they go back after Nick Saban and they get him. January 3rd, 2007, I am Indian style with a clipboard on my lap, filling out inventory for rolls of fabric that have just come in off the southeastern freight truck. And there's the breaking news in the earbud, Alabama finalizing a deal with Nick Saban. So because I'm passionate about the SEC, it's huge. It's, I, I felt the same way, well, maybe not quite to this degree, but when we found out Jimbo Fisher was going to Texas A&M. I mean, if you feel like A&M's been mismanaged like I do, and you're getting a national championship winning head coach to go in there, that's exciting. Because if you love SEC football, if you love major college football, I grew up in the SEC, so it's SEC for me. Uh, you guys know about the lower back tattoo I have, allegedly. So it was a big deal. So then that stuff starts to unfold, okay? Here's what I, re I realized, not maybe from his introductory press conference, when I knew things had changed at Alabama was there were some folks around town that you could always count on to get information from Alabama. And then all of a sudden they didn't know anything anymore. And what happened was a lot of people who had loose lips had been disassociated from the program. So there was no information coming out of Alabama anymore. And all of a sudden, your little sources, you know, down on the corner of Ninth and Broad at the restaurant you go to on Tuesdays and Thursdays, they don't know anything anymore. That's when I knew things at Alabama had changed a little bit if you didn't know just by the identity of the guy they had hired. So then Nick Saban starts building Alabama to what it's going to be. So then a couple of years later, I was telling Colin about the YouTube video earlier. Tuberville's out. Auburn's looking for a head coach. Swimming pool. Back and forth. And you can look this up. I didn't know if we could use it, if we had the rights to it, but you just, after the show, preferably, just Google um, Auburn Gene Chizik Airport or YouTube it, and you'll see. A lot of you remember what happened. Auburn is rumored to be going after Gene Chizik for their head coaching position. He is, at the time, 5-19 and 19 as a head coach, and um, a guy shows up to the airport, Jay Jacobs, athletic director at the time, and some Auburn uh, uh, dignitaries, if you will, they fly up there, they fly back, and they're getting off the private plane, and there's this dude. You never see his face. He's just off in the distance somewhere, just yelling, boo, we need a leader, not a loser. That's what he was screaming. Five and 19 is not what we need. I wrote down quickly his suggestions. He wanted Turner Gill. He wanted Brady Hoke, uh, Patrick Nix. He threw Rodney Garner out there. But he said 5-19 and 19 is not what we need. He was adamant. Of course, two years later, Gene Chizik won a national championship at Auburn. Say what you will, Gene Chizik won a national championship at Auburn. That guy was never heard from again, or was he? This is where the story really gets interesting. I finally get my break, and someone finally puts me on radio in Columbus. It is, I think, 2012 or 2013. So Chizik's already gone. I mean, he's been fired. They've won a championship. He's been gone. That's how quickly the, uh, the old swimming pool, the water goes back and forth. There's this guy, obnoxious Auburn fan, calling into our show. Now, I loved him. He went by the handle Paulie Walnuts. The Sopranos was big at the time, obviously. So he goes by the name Paulie Walnuts. So um, he would call in, and it was good-natured, but, you know, he'd rib you back and forth. But, I mean, the guy was out to lunch with a lot of the takes that he would have. And he was a dude who, in spite of all the logic you would throw at him, he would listen, nod his head yes, and say, yeah, but I still think the way I think anyway. Well, I'm driving into the station one day, 
And it occurs to me, because I had thought for a long time, I know that guy's voice. I know his voice. And then it occurs to me, I don't know what was happening. I was driving down Winton Road in Columbus. I don't know what hit me or how it hit me the right way, but it did. And I said, that's the airport guy. That's the lunatic from, excuse me, that is the young man from the airport. So I go into the studio and all the guys who were working there, Pun, Bobby Z, all these guys, I pull up the YouTube video. I say, tell me if you recognize this voice. I press play. They all to a man said, that's, that's Paulie, that's him. So he called like every day. So Hazmat, our producer in radio, later did a late kick with me in Columbus. I have him with one of the audio pods reserved and he's got that video pulled up and we're gonna ambush him. And sure enough, he calls in and sure enough, he's mouthy and sure enough, we, we ambush him. Say, hey, you ever heard this before? And it was as, we couldn't see his face, but it was as if he had heard a ghost and he stammered all over himself and we never heard from him again. So we went from Indian style in a fabric warehouse to ambushing a caller on a local sports talk show in Columbus. That is what the back and forth, the volatility of the Iron Bowl rivalry did for me professionally. Did you think that was where I was going? Probably not. We have got a big day coming up tomorrow. We have, with our social distance series here at 24-7 Sports, we have landed so many big-time guests. There has not been a secret to it. There's not been a formula. Each one has been a case-by-case case as to how we've done it, but we've got a lot of people with really, really good and extensive networks of contacts here and a lot of people with time on their hands, obviously. So we've been able to lock down many, like we've done Urban Meyer. Um, we, I, I, I myself have done Meyer, Brian Kelly. We had Matthew McConaughey, uh, Barton Simmons, had Jeremy Pruitt recently. We've had so many. I, I'm going to forget like 50 of them. Evan Daniels last night got John Wall to talk about Michael Jordan. So that one's coming up this week. But we've got Nick Saban coming tomorrow morning, bright and early. But I told you, you don't have to wait until then. I'm going to show you some of this on the Sunday Night Late Kick show. So I was really curious, being that Nick Saban is one of only a few people who could ever identify with someone like Michael Jordan, had he been watching the show. So Colin's about to play this for you. This is just a sneak peek. This entire interview will drop tomorrow. On the back end, though, I'll give you some other anecdotes from this Saban interview. Roll it, Colin. Everyone's been fixated every Sunday night on this Last Dance documentary. It's a multi-part docuseries following the Bulls' 98 season, but it's also kind of chronicled Michael Jordan, his entire career. And he's been really open and really raw and really candid about his approach and how he handled teammates, especially the ones that he knew had the ability but didn't have the wiring mentally. And if they didn't have that wiring, then he was a nightmare to deal with, but yet he's kind of talked about, and I've heard you talk about it many times, the elite versus the mediocre mindset. You've got to be one of a handful of people on planet earth that can truly identify with someone like Michael Jordan, because you've had a similar level of success in your world. What's it like listening to those guys and saying, huh, he gets it just like I do. Well, I really think the last three minutes of, you know, the last show number eight, I think it is, um, was you know something that i could really relate to that we could really relate to um, we've always had a very high standard in the program here of how we want everybody to be the best version of themselves personally academically and athletically because you know we're college coaches we're not just in the professional ranks just it's all about you know winning the game uh, it's a lot about winning the game in college but there's some other things that we try to develop in players as well but um, you know, when they referred to him as some of your teammates think you might be a tyrant, uh, and you know, he paused and actually 
almost got tears in his eyes when he said, there's a price to pay for winning. There's a price to pay for being a leader. You have to push people to get them to do things that um, they might not want to do, make make them uncomfortable. You almost have to get used to being, uh, everybody wants to be comfortable, but you got to get used to being uncomfortable if you're really going to be successful and you're really going to be good. Uh, And I could really relate to that. Um, because that's kind of what we've always tried to get the players in our program to do. Some understand it, some don't. You know, some people use that against us in recruiting sometimes because, you know, I've heard, well, you don't have any fun in Alabama. Well, you know, we have fun here. I mean, the structure that we have is so the players don't have too much fun. Uh, But at the same time, we're also trying to create a culture of accountability where, you know, the players – have the best chance to develop, um, you know, the kind of habits that are going to help them be successful in their life, in, in their future. Uh, and, you know, that's sometimes when you hold people accountable, um, you know, it's maybe to a standard that they're not used to, uh, but it, in the long run, it really, really benefits their chances to be successful. And I think that's what Michael Jordan was trying to say. And, um, and I think that's something that we could really relate to here. If you haven't seen that last three minutes of the episode that he's talking about, uh, I don't know what they're going to do tonight to top that, but it was one of those where the highlight package from a video element standpoint and the audio, the music, it synced up so perfectly. It's like the only people who I think do a better job consistently, even though the product itself is terrible right now, is World Wrestling Entertainment. They've they've been on top of that world forever. They've lapped the field. But, man, they did a good job with that. And so I wanted to get his take on that. I'll tell you what else he goes in depth on. A couple of things. I When I do interviews, forget about me. I know what you guys want to know, so I just ask these guys what you want to know. All of you Alabama folks keep asking me about Pete Golding. I asked Nick Saban about Pete Golding and the defense last year and what needs to change. A lot of you Alabama fans are, even though even though deep down you know it's going to change, you're not quite so pleased as you would be normally this time of year with your recruiting ranking. Now, I keep telling you it's pretty obvious they are taking a more measured approach and he normally likes to get folks in camp and they hadn't got folks in camp. Well, forget about me. I asked him about that too. He's going to go in depth on that. This full interview will be released on this very channel, on the YouTube channel, at 8 o'clock Central Time, 9 o'clock Eastern tomorrow morning. So there's some really good stuff there. And we got some, we got more really good interviews coming up. Uh, we have got, at this point, the floodgates have been opened. So I've got bucket list names. Uh, Saban was one of them. Meyer was one of them. I wanted to get, we wanted to get Matthew McConaughey, Trey Scott, who works here as a Texas alum. So that was a natural fit. We got a few more from maybe varying backgrounds that we're going after and we're going after all of them. So uh, you'll know when I know or shortly after I know. Q&A time. Dylan hit me today, actually. Now, a lot of you, let me pause before I get to Dylan's question. You guys send me emails all the time. If they're good questions, I don't answer every question. Like, what is my favorite color? It's blue. That's it. The end. I'm not going to put it on the podcast. But if they're good substantive questions, they don't always have to be about college football. I got a question about storm chasing this week, and you better believe I'm answering it on the Late Kick Extra podcast this week. Email them, direct message on Twitter, or see the pinned comment below the live show here, whether you're live or watching on replay, and leave the questions there, and I'll get to as many of them as I can. However... Sometimes people send a question that just so perfectly sums up what we're talking about on a show in a given night. I'll put it in the show. So Dylan emailed me a few hours ago. He said, 
Tennessee, you know we got to put Tennessee in every show. Tennessee has four huge games, without overlooking others, on the schedule this year. They play Oklahoma. That's true. They do. They play Florida, Alabama, and Georgia. It's not hard to be excited with the way things have been going in recruiting, but I think we all know at some point we've got to win games like we used to, big games. Would you say that of those four games, Tennessee, for them to take their recruiting and program to the next level, ideally, do we have to win at least one of those four games? Good question, Dylan. Yes, you do. You absolutely do. I told you at the end of last year, when Tennessee started so horribly, but they were able to string together a stretch at the end where they won, that was good enough to take out in recruiting and sell to kids in the form of a vision that landed them a top 10 class. Now, Pruitt's a really good recruiter. They got a staff of really good recruiters. But here's what I was talking about to start the show tonight. The volatility, or volatility and fluidity of recruiting this particular cycle is going to be that there's going to be a lot of movement, a whole lot of movement this fall. If you're winning, you're not losing kids because of your on-field result. You may, if you lose them, it'll be for another reason. But you beat Oklahoma. No one's turned off by that. But just as sure as the sun's going to rise tomorrow morning, as long as your local government officials say it can, you're going to have, if you go 0-4, if you lose to OU and you lose to Florida, Alabama, Georgia, again, you got a really good recruiting class right now. You're going to be attacked from all angles about how if I'm Georgia or if I'm Florida or if I'm Alabama or if I'm Oklahoma and I'm recruiting against you, I'm saying, you know we do it. We do it every year. They tell you they're going to do it, but they didn't do it this year. They didn't do it last year until the schedule got soft. I mean, do you really want to waste the only college career you're ever going to have at a place that's selling you hope and selling you maybe and selling you could be when we can sell you already are, already has been, already will be, here's the trophy case, here are the crystal footballs. That's the kind of stuff you're going to have to deal with. And I'm telling you, it's not going to work on every kid, but it will work on some kids on top of the fact that they're going to be taking more official visits than they would have previously, on top of the fact that they're going to be recruited every bit as hard as they normally are, but other factors are going to be in play. Yes, I think Tennessee has to, they call them program-defining wins. Tennessee's got to get at least one of them. I think that their road game against Auburn a couple of years ago really set some of the wheels in motion that culminated with landing some big kids in this last recruiting cycle. I think they used that effectively. I've heard people reference that game, but you can lose some of that momentum too. That's the thing about people who make a big deal out of momentum. If you believe in it, then you got to believe that there's also the opposite side of that coin where you can lose it. You can have negative momentum. You go 0-4 in those big games this year, and that's if you win all the other ones. As you pointed out here in this question, no guarantee they're going to win all the other ones. So, yeah, Dylan, I think that absolutely they do. Uh, follow me on Twitter, if you will, at LateKickJosh. We do a lot of interaction on there during the week, and also... You guys have done a great job. I just ask you to continue doing it. If you haven't already subscribed to the Late Kick podcast, we have an extra one that comes out during the week that you don't see on the YouTube channel. It is jam-packed. I mean jam-packed. I don't know how many words per show that we're working in on that one, but auctioneers have probably not done more than we do on that one. Uh, and give us a five-star review over there, too. A lot of you have done that. We appreciate it. So we got to get out of here uh, because we've got a lot to watch on TV tonight. So if you haven't already subscribed to the YouTube channel, click the bell for notifications. We'll be back here Thursday night at 8 Eastern, 7 Central. Remember that Nick Saban interview will drop bright and early tomorrow morning. So have a great week. We'll see you back here Thursday night. Take care and God bless. Baseball. 
has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.